turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests... Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them up. It's us again. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials. We've got a boss marketing chick in the house. Today, we're joined by Bridget Pucker, a kick-ass content expert from Chicago. Now, former content lead at G2, a recent podcast co-host, and an all-around huge sports fan. All right, everybody, welcome Bridget to the microphone. Bridget, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Excited to be here. We are too. I love getting the chance to chat not only with another female in the industry, but also somebody from the Midwest. So woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't get it twisted. You know, I can't wait to hear about your background and love um, for sports. But before we jump into that, we have to know what got you first interested in marketing? This is definitely interesting. I actually started in college. I went to Illinois. I started in engineering. Hi, big Ben. (laughs) Quickly realized that that was not my calling. I just was like, oh, everybody in here is just not very nice. And I don't want these people to be my coworkers. Yeah, it just wasn't my spot. Like I, everybody there was the smartest of this, you know, it's just was like, I don't belong here. And I was just like big enough to say, "Mm, this is not for me. So I ended up looking into like architecture and things like that, just kind of like to bridge both like design and all of the calculus and physics that I had to take already. But I ended up in advertising and I honestly don't even know how that happened. But I think it was probably because Illinois just has a really good advertising school too. And I didn't want to transfer schools. So that was kind of my first jump into marketing. I started my career at like a small boutique ad agency just in the suburbs of Chicago. And I just got to learn a lot and it just kind of happened from there. That's amazing. What was your like main responsibility? Were you like ads? Were you social since you were younger? I'm sure. (laughs) Exactly. that. (laughs) I actually started there as a PR intern and then quickly PR didn't exist. Maybe two months I was there doing that. And We decided to build out a kind of digital content team. So we were, we were doing social and email, you know, convincing like manufacturing companies that you need an email newsletter with your sales guys and a lot of web content, a lot of like different CMSs and things, just me going in. And I think that's maybe where I first learned a lot about content marketing and just SEO and how all of that fits together. So I was at that agency for three years. I just wanted to move downtown and kind of get, you know, back into like the city of Chicago. I was living in the suburbs at the time, but Hmm. thinking about a move to the city. So I just like did it, went freelance because I could and I was under my mom's insurance. And I was like, cool, if there's going to be a time that I'm going to do this, it's going to be right now. So own it, own it. Yes. Did that for nine months. And then I ended up at G2 for a year and a half almost. I was at G2 for so. Been crazy. How did that come about? That's pretty interesting. Like going from ad agency to freelance, and what sparked you to get out of freelance and go back to a company? Yeah, I need an insurance, so I didn't decide. I just decided I, you know, I really liked being the one man marketing team, but I also didn't like that. I was too young to be doing that already, and I didn't. You know, I think at the agency and in freelancing, I was a generalist in all like variations of the word. And I think that that was maybe the time that everybody was saying, like, be a specialist, be a specialist, you know? So I was like, okay, like if there's something that I want to learn, I guess I I want it to be content marketing and SEO because it kind of like branches out into all of these different pieces of marketing, you know? Any kind of digital marketing is really content marketing. So. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because I feel like that's a big discussion right now between like, do you start off specializing or you start off generalize being a generalist? And I'm actually torn between those two too, because I think every marketer should have a basis of everything in marketing. Like they should know everything. But 
once you've defined the thing that you know you're good at, doubling down on that. So I know you started doing content, but what drew you to content? Yeah, I think, you know, more than the content side of it, it was the SEO side of it that comes with it. Like that engineering background, like I've always really liked numbers and the analytics side. And SEO is just such a perfect draw to like any analytics piece of marketing, right? And the, I'll be the first to say, like, I'm, I don't really like to write long form content. Like me as a person, it doesn't bring me joy, but. I I see it as a means to an end. I see it as I get to write these four pieces and it's the strategy piece behind it that like that's what I really enjoy and and seeing it work and the analytics of it or like tweaking it a little bit and then seeing that jump or like that's where I find, you know, the the biggest like satisfaction in. So that's kind of it's very cyclical in content and it's very tangible if you're doing it right. It's a high, I guess. (laughs) So I can totally speak to that. I like basically tried to get out of social at one point or another, like fully was just like, I'm done. This is crazy. Like I wanted to generalize and like, it's not that you can't generalize after specializing or even specialize after generalizing, but I think you find out, you kind of find what you want out of it. And for me, I was outright passionate about social, like you're talking about the numbers aspect to you. For me, social was like a, almost like a puzzle. And like, I could literally put that puzzle together like that snap of a finger. As soon as I saw it, I knew how to write copy, how to like create creative assets around it, how to create a campaign within it, who to strategize with, like if we needed influencers or any other aspect to it. It's just like it built in, it dripped down into emails, it dripped down into, you know, ads. It was just like kind of this encompassing package that started to kind of drive the passion. Like, how do I avoid what I'm good at? <laughs> totally. I think too, for me, the the piece of content at G2 was so specific to that's really the product there, right? It's trying to drive buyers to your site to learn more about software. So for me, like, and the product marketing team is incredible at G2, but we were almost product marketers at some point because it was like, how is sales using this stuff to close? It, it is content. Like you go to the category pages, all of that is content marketing. You know what I mean? Like, and that was our main headline was how many buyers can we get? Can we? And that was the sales. The sales punchline was we have five million buyers on our site, right? So it was just a really easy draw for thirty of us to be like, okay, let's just like sign up and just do this. How do you find the balance? Because I've always wondered this because I've never been in the SEO side of stuff. I've been reporting in SEO stuff, but I'm finding the balance between writing content for the Google algorithms versus like writing content for like attracting to like people. Because it, it sometimes it's a hard balance because the algorithms like one thing and people just like what how people talk. So it's like a hard balance. That's like the entire game of SEO, right? I mean, we can sit and talk about the algorithm changes and all of these things of the technical pieces of Google. But Google is constantly telling us like we're going back toward how people are consuming content. It's I have always been a huge proponent of of metrics, less of like what rank are you? Like things more, what's your time on page? Because that's a real person that is reading the content and that makes the content useful to the like the actual audience you know what i mean and that i'm writing for the person no matter what i can kind of fit in the keywords and things like that but like my content creation process always starts with whatever intent it is whether that's search intent for specific keywords or i'm listening to a gong call and some customer or i've heard three or four customers in a row now mention this specific keyword, even if there's no volume behind that, like what's the intent there and how can I create content for maybe our sales team to use, but then maybe back end with SEO. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, of course you have to write, you know, certain things to just rank to get traffic. But at the end of the day, like web traffic 
is we only get web traffic so we can convert them to leads or put them into our nurture cycle. It doesn't matter what your web traffic is if you're not converting those people. So what's actually on the page, like it has to speak to a person that's behind it reading it, right? That's one of my big questions I was going to ask you. Like it's right here on this post-it note. What metrics matter? What are you using to kind of sell your point or sell your kind of understanding or optimization suggestions? Let me back up a little bit. When When I first started at G2, I was one of 20-ish writers and we were cranking out 10-ish pieces a month each. So we were writing 200 pieces of content a month. That didn't even count like the 50 guest posts that we were getting from wherever. It was crazy. But we realized that like we didn't have enough on the optimization side. So we kind of restructured our team to say like, we need more people to kind of monitor these things and make changes and tweak things and you know build better interlinking strategies or backlinking strategies. So we kind of split the team and I headed up the on-page SEO side of the content team at G2. So my job was to kind of recluster and format like all of the blogs that we currently had to get the stuff that we currently had ranking before we went and just dumped new shit on. So for me, the metrics that mattered were how many visitors are we getting a month? What's the keyword volume for this? Like, what's the ratio there? Even if we're ranking page one, is this even worth us to be ranking here? I, like I said earlier, time on page is a huge thing for me. Like, are people actually staying and reading it? How many clicks did they take through? Like, you know, did they start on one piece and then find another piece that would be helpful for them or? The best case scenario was go to the category page, like hit that category CTA and go over and learn more about whatever software we were trying to rank for. And we also had a pretty substantial like subscriber base as well. So that was always kind of a goal for for all of our blog posts was how many people can we get to subscribe to just whatever lists we were, you know, whether it was going into product marketing and feeding like a lead list or just somebody, you know, here's our marketing content and here's our IT content. Because that was the other thing about G2. We had like 400 verticals. How are 20 people going to cover that? Like we talk about having a massive content team and that's fair, but we had so many software verticals to cover. It's crazy. There's just no way to do it. Yeah, that's insane. Takes like definitely a strategy to organize that for sure. And the, one of the cool points I think you brought up, and I think a lot of people underutilize this, is just like repurposing existing content and reformatting and refreshing. I think a lot of people just don't do that. And I think like what you were doing to get those pages to rank again is just basically taking old pieces, making them more current, maybe adding extra words to it. So what do you think the best like repurposing strategy is for content? Yeah. Like I said, a lot of the back half of my time there was just restructuring things that we had already that just weren't ranking or were ranking maybe page two and the difference in keyword volume was like 20, 30,000. So we were like, just get this onto page one. Yeah. And and the difference there is backlinks. Can Can you just strictly drive backlinks somewhere to this page? That helps a ton. And like that's technically optimizing content is just like a concerted backlink campaign to one piece of content. Adding like up to date stats in the intro or in, you know, on, do you, I always start again, I will say this like I always start with search intent, whether it's refreshing something or writing something completely new, just do a quick Google search because you would be shocked by the truncated keywords. I, I can't even like the amount of things that just people search that you're like, that's definitely not what I think you would be searching when you were searching this keyword. There's no way that you don't understand with this software. Like why is the keyword for a what is? Like I don't understand. But if that's what we have to write, then that's... And and those things change over time. You know, people... Do you think a month ago, people were looking up what what is Zoom? But a year ago, they were. Whereas now Zoom, that keyword is probably not a what is type of article because everybody knows what Zoom is. It's the same way everybody knows what Facebook is. Now it's probably just like 
how to use Zoom, whatever, like how to unmute myself on Zoom, like stupid stuff like that. But the search intents change over time too. My also like like nugget piece of gold is just look at the people also ask section, like whether there's volume there or not. Google kind of like understands that, A, you're kind of writing for a person here because somebody asks, enough people ask this on Google for it to be but it's also a signal to Google, like, oh, you're actually answer their, answering their questions. Like, it's in our algorithm that people are asking this. Just make those your H2s and H3s. Really not that hard. For those of us and listeners that don't know what backlinking is, could you, like, describe that for people? Yeah. Backlinks are essentially any external site linking back to your site. It's, it's basically a thumbs up. Google recognizes that as that site giving your site a thumbs up. This content is good, whether it's to your homepage or to... And in our case at G2, it was specific blog posts. So if I was writing something on what is marketing automation software, if I could get companies to to, to link my post about marketing automation software and their email marketing blogs or... You know, any related blog that pointed or, or mentions marketing automation software, if I could get them to, to link to G2 for that, it helps your domain authority. Again, it just helps Google understand that like that's a significant piece of content. It's essentially like a thumbs up. So it, it helps the ranking. That's awesome. And it's awesome because I think that there's so many different types of search engines out there. Because I think like we talk about Google and everybody talks about Google, but... YouTube, like optimizing like videos for that search engine, even like optimizing, yeah, even optimizing like LinkedIn posts for the right like hashtag. Yep. Or, yeah. or think about like the App Store, the App yeah. Store, like the App Store optimization is a huge thing as well. It's the same kind of game, but yeah, like if you have a bunch of content that ranks on Google, there's no saying that a bunch of it's going to rank on YouTube too. It's a whole separate game. So it's like, what do you prioritize? And I think that that's where it comes down to the customer. Is, is your customer or is your product you know, really complicated? Maybe a video would be better. Maybe you should be focusing more on YouTube. Again, some search intents on Google are, are going to be videos because it's just easier for people to digest those complex kind of topics as a video. So you might have to make a video if you plan to write a blog post for, for a certain thing that only is pulling, you know, video content, you're never going to rank number one for that. What are big no-nos in content marketing? Yeah, I think there's definitely a few here. The biggest one, I think, and honestly, a little bit of what I've seen at, at these tough companies that kind of do it really early on is they just silo content, right? It's so specialized in niche that it's like only serving one purpose. And I think that, you know, that that shows itself in your only goal is to get traffic, right? That's so broken and that like, okay, but how does this content piece fit into product marketing? How does it fit into demand gen? How does it fit into the sales cycle? Like where else can we be branching out the content that we're creating? Because like, there's no reason for sales to go and create all of this content if, if the content team is creating it as well, right? And I think that I hate myself for saying this, but like that's where that marketing and, and sales alignment like comes in. It's like you just have to have those two teams bought into each other because otherwise I'm like, why do we have all of these content marketers? Like who cares how many people are on our site if that's not converting to leads and if that's where demand gen fits in. So it's like Really understanding, I think, where content marketing fits into the funnel or multiple funnels or multiple stages of that funnel. I think so often it's seen as such a top of funnel thing. And I think that might be backwards. I think that there's a way to write content or create content that can be top of funnel and middle of funnel and bottom of funnel and work, right? So I think that that's definitely the biggest thing that I've seen is like, so many misses of, oh, it's just top of funnel. And we'll maybe get 3% of these people to convert. But it's like, why are we spending all of our time writing this shit anyway? Like, <laughs> it takes so long. Like, capitalize on it. Make a video yeah. or, or a podcast or whatever. And then branch that out into 10 blog posts. 
you have to double down. And I think that so many times it's just so siloed and so like zoned in that there's so many things in the the periphery that just get lost. Mm. And that goes to back to that repurposing like topic. It's Mm -hmm. just like, you could take a blog post and create 20 pieces of content on different platforms. Just like learning how to distribute content. And I think one of the most underplayed strategies that I think people aren't using is taking content and paid using it at like actual like awareness phase. Like, like, cause a lot of companies like say, Oh, I'm going to put it on my website. Someone might come to it a year from now and see it. Cause I, I post it or like three months from now, but you can boost that post or, and also boost awareness about your company and provide value by just putting some ad spend behind. And I think a lot of companies aren't doing that. They're doing that. I was just going to say, I had a really great mutual friend of ours give me a fabulous piece of advice. He was like, if you produce a piece of content that ends up just like absolutely killing it by whatever metric you deem important, put fucking money behind it. Like if your audience likes it, serve that shit to them 80,000 ways, whether this is in paid ads or in repurposed content, do it. Yep. And that's what I mean. That's what I mean by saying you just have to double down on what's working. I 100% agree that like, if you find it's so rare in marketing that we find something that actually works and like works really well. So it's and that's the whole game. And at least that's like what I'm doing now at big time is is figuring out what is working and how can I automate as much of that as possible so that I can go find somebody does something else that works and go find the next thing that works. And that is such a freeing experience for me because like now I'm back in a generous generalist role where I'm just like, I have one lane, which is paid. And then it's like, okay, go figure out what else we need to be doing. And that's so fun. Like it's so different for me to to kind of branch out in that way. But again, I think that foundation of content and just the technicalities of all of it is super, super powerful. And it's it really affects like how I think about messaging and all of these things, because I'm not just thinking about like, I really, I I said earlier, I don't really like and enjoy doing the long form content, but I love copywriting. I love creating landing pages. I love creating long, like long form sales pages that are just going to like really bring somebody through the full funnel or get somebody into a nurture campaign. But I think that my background in content marketing helps that because it's not only what does the customer need? But I also kind of understand like technically, like how to fit in things that are going to work without sacrificing the customer piece of it. Then I think it's going back to what you said before is like, there's so many signals, right? Like Google searches, like listening to the gong calls and you can get answers just from like talking to customers. Like the customer yeah. can write your copy basically and you just put it on your page. Yes. And I think that that's another thing that I really take to heart when I'm creating a piece of content is how do I hit a person in every stage of the sales cycle in this one piece of content? Say like I'm categorizing it, it, it as a top of funnel, like what is article or how to. I still need to have like a little blurb in there for somebody that's like middle of funnel consideration stage to like click over and go somewhere that like makes sense for them. because. What if if they do land on that page and they're like, I don't really know what this is. I think that I knew what it is, but then give them a place to go, like give them somewhere. And the same thing with bottom of funnel. I, I think that it's so often missed that we're so focused on like, well, this is only a top of funnel piece. And it's like, you have to give every, cause like, who knows how they're using your website? Like we think we know, but we don't really know. You have to like think that your customer isn't has to understand like and you have to simplify it to the simplest forms like, they're not think our, our customers are not thinking in funnels yeah right <laughs> they're thinking in and and you're and you're you're exactly right when you say when you find something that works put money behind it it's it's the same thing as like why do we hire bdrs why don't why don't you try to just put your like if somebody doesn't want to talk to a bdr doesn't want to be reached out proactively or whatever, you have to... If you don't put money behind the things that are working, they're never going to find you on Google. So why wouldn't you want to put yourself in front of as many people as possible 
And maybe it ends up being that your paid stuff works better than your BDRs or like the combination of both is just like crushing it. Like that's ideal, right? Is that like they're paying for each other. That's great. Totally. I think, I think my ultimate state though, is like the, the 70, 80% marketing, like 20% BDRs. Like, uh, <laughs> I love BDRs. They do great work, but I think there's nothing like the marketing side bringing people in the funnel, but it depends on the industry and who your audience is. Right. So like some people only want to talk on the phone. So that's where BDR comes in. Yeah. Big Time is a professional services automation company. So it's really interesting going back into maybe a more personal kind of outreach thing. Maybe the BDRs there are better, but I've never worked at a company before. First of all, where I work so closely with sales, like it's actually incredible. Like almost all of the leads are coming from MQLs. I'm like, this is weird. And and I'm like looking around, like, does anybody else think that this is weird? Like, this is great. Like, this is crazy. Like, this doesn't happen. So again, like my job is just kind of like figure out how to keep recreating that with different channels. I think we've figured out that a lot of the paid stuff works, but that leads to, you know, a really high, just like CPL or whatever. And I'm just like, okay, how do we build the organic side for keywords that we don't have to be paying for? I've always wanted this. I know we talked about this a little bit in the past, but what made you become like one of the first people at G2 to be like, let me double down on my personal brand? Because I think a lot of people don't do that and they should be, but I'm wondering how you got into that. G2, when we started, (laughs) we went from five content marketers to 30 content marketers in like two months. Like it was crazy. And we were just like kind of all in it together and we were just figuring it out. So like I said earlier, we had 20 writers and we decided that instead of posting all of our content from the G2, you know, Twitter account or whatever it was, we were all going to just get on Twitter. There's 20 of us. How could we not like own content marketing Twitter? I don't understand. And we just got like really into Twitter chats and just kind of being everywhere. And when I started there, I was writing about app development, which is hilarious to think about now. Like, what is an API? I'm like, I still don't know. I think I related it to like pancakes or something. I I have no idea. But I just saw an opportunity there. And I think that's where, you know, the Dave Gerhards were starting to take off on LinkedIn. And I was like, well, Twitter is a little bit more approachable for me. So I'm going to start there. And I think that Twitter too... It's a, it's a little bit less stringent than LinkedIn. You know, it's like you can still be an actual person and like, okay, here's a picture of my dog. But it was also a place like when I started at G, when I started at G2, we were doing key ser- keyword research, we were writing and we were distributing and we were getting our own backlinks to all of our stuff, like full stack content marketers. So the distribution piece was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to build a really big Twitter following and like if my stuff never ranks on Google, maybe I'll get people to just get views that way. You know what I mean? Like if this, if it doesn't work out on the organic side, maybe I can get a handful of views from, from Twitter. But we did, we kind of like built these brands into something. And then I, I don't even remember like the, my first LinkedIn post that, and I honestly don't, I think it's funny. People think that I post on LinkedIn every day. I don't, I just don't have that much to say. I think that the algorithm tells me that I probably should post every day so that you know more and more people are seeing it in my feed. But I think that my content resonates with people because when I do have something to say, it's like meaningful. And and it's not just like fluff content that I, you know, have a swipe file or a backlog of stuff. Like I don't. I I literally just sit down for five minutes and people are gonna hate me for saying this, but like I sit down for five minutes, write it, and I ship it. And then I leave it alone. Like I just don't, I don't worry because it's so me. It's so authentic. And I think maybe that's why it stands out. I also think that when I started doing it, it was a lot of... And I think in general, when LinkedIn started to really like pop off was... It was a lot of like 40, 35-year-old dudes, like founders or VPs of sales and marketing. And I'm like, this is not the majority of this space. There's nobody out here like me doing it. And I think that that's where actually Sarah and I really started to bond and like find each other was like, oh, we're just both really young 
20 somethings that are like, I'm just going to say what I think and we'll see what happens. It worked out. And, and it's definitely been very interesting. And I, it, it's never the posts that you think that are going to do well, that do well. You know what I mean? Like that's so frustrating as a marketer, but I just kind of laugh at it because it's the same way in our jobs. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you with like the young like aspect of it. When I first started on LinkedIn, I was really like intimidated because like the people who were succeeding were like the Dave Gearhart's, the CMOs, the VPs, the like founders of companies and stuff like that. So I was so intimidated to just put out like marketing content. I was mm-hmm. like, nobody's going to listen to me. I'm have five years experience in marketing. Who's going to like listen to my voice? But like, I think. You people don't underestimate how like consistency could beat out brilliance once a month. Like, yeah, and I think that's in content in general. Like, like people could put out this amazing post, but like you said, like how, how do you know it's amazing post? Like, I I sometimes put out content. I'm like, okay, for sure, five hundred likes, and then I'm like, I look at it and it's like. 150 i'm like oh gosh i'm like but see 150 for me is like good i'm like i crushed it <laughs> yo you guys i haven't posted on linkedin in like probably three months and i think for me i love watching you guys flourish and i love getting to scroll through and see a bridge at your honesty and authenticity like it definitely screams through and i think i gravitate a little bit more towards like your style whereas like daniel really is winning that battle with the content strategy like the consistency is key and i think that that is an element that i admire and like hope to aspire to i think what's been tricky is trying to also just like remain myself during an evolution process like yeah. i've been yeah evolving so much. And I am almost afraid of my own opinions in a couple of months. And so I don't know. It's not that I'm not trying to pigeonhole myself, but I'm still trying to find the channel that I think I can champion. Yours was Twitter and it's navigated to maybe more of a professional state on LinkedIn. Whereas I know that I love a professional moment on LinkedIn, but I don't know. There's something even more candid about like our channel of this podcast here cuss words sometimes make me happy, but it doesn't need to discredit from like, you know, my knowledge and experience in the industry. So I totally hear you on the like evolution thing. And I think that that's why my posts are less like, here's what I know about marketing. I don't know near enough what I should know. I just don't. And I'm, I'm always somebody that like, I need to be learning and I'm I'm the same as you where I'm like, I don't want to say something. And then six months from now, I'll be like, why did I say that? That was really dumb. And like, look at all these <laughs> things that I've learned. But I can talk about that. I can talk about how to be empathetic. I can talk about how to fail. I can talk about how to celebrate your teammates' successes or navigate those things. And that's like real time what I'm going through. And I think that... I don't know. I just... One it's day, amazing... Fuck it. <laughs> it's amazing because I think your ability to kind of say ethics and write to what you know you wanted to write to ended up being the type of content that spoke to cross generations, which is so backwards. It's like, how does the stuff that you underthink create exactly what you were looking for? You know what I mean? It's, it's because nobody knows what they're doing. I'm just honest enough to say it like out loud. Yes. And you, and for me, like, I think I accepted that I know my mind's going to change in three months and I might have a different marketing opinion in three months because I'm actually like going back to like empathetic. Like, I know I'm not right all the time. I think that's the difference mm-hmm. between us posting because we know we're not right all the time and we can change our mind in three months. I think like the, the, when you get to like the older people posting, they're so like in with their opinion. Rigid. And I'm like, for me, I know I'm going to change my opinion in like three months. And I know like I'm going to look back. I literally went back and looked at the post I posted five months ago and I'm embarrassed that I posted it, but I'm okay with that. Um, right. But here's the thing. Nobody else is going back to look no. at your post from five months ago. Also, the following that I'm, I want to build or the community is also growing, right? So like, they're not going to judge me for that post five months ago because they're also like going through all of these things at the same time, right? 
if I gain this straight, this this is how you came up with your new podcast, right? Based on the new Bridget posting on LinkedIn, right? Talk about that a little bit. Super interesting. Sarah and I have never met before. Sarah, it's so weird. Like we both worked at that time when we met, we both worked at these massive tech companies that were just growing, growing, growing. And we were like, we're so overwhelmed, but we have no idea what we're doing. And like, is this imposter syndrome? I have no idea. But we just kind of bonded in that. And we're like, I see you and you see me. And we're just going to... And I think that the other thing is like, we are both like hype queens. I'm like, crush it. Do your thing. Like there's so many people, myself, like to myself included is we're all constantly like dragging each other down or like we don't want to see other people succeed. And that's just the kind of person I am. Like all of my friends in my life, I'm like, I want you to just like crush everything that you are doing. Like, how can I help you? And I think Sarah and I just really grew like grew that into our professional lives. But then, yeah, we were texting one day and I had, I, I don't even know how this happened. Like I just had a bunch of cheese in my fridge and I was like, I'm at the stage, like a life stage that I don't have to eat all of the cheese in my fridge in one sitting. Like that's goals. She was like, that's the name of your podcast, Self-Control and Cheese. And I was like, name of our podcast. And she was like, okay, I guess we're going to start a podcast. And we just like, it literally is just, how are we navigating these professional, personal relationships? And and how do we like bring, maybe not our full selves to work, but like a person that I'm proud of to work. Yeah, that's awesome. Ferg is the hypest of hype. And I'm like, just like pretty like, low key and we just like bounce off each other like when we worked each other at snack nation like ferg we would just hype each other up the whole time but ferg always could beat me in the hype i'll tell you that yo i would wake up ready to rock and fucking roll and if i was ready to rock and roll all my people needed to rock and roll with me so it would be like let's go whether it's Monday or Friday, like I'm here to go. And I think I wake up with that zest for life like every day. I think that that's something that made me know like I loved marketing because even though it might not be the most exciting J-O-B, the actual role from a day-to-day basis is fucking fun and you know it. Like, yeah, like there's no box. Yeah, there's no box there. I, I will always like, and I actually am this person, but I equivocate myself to like, I'm the hype person that like, I'm going to buy all the tequila shots at the bar. Like, I'm like, we're getting crazy. Let's just do it. But like, I'm not leaning down for a round of 1982 because you know (laughs) you're going to feel that one. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life personally that I think it's really good that it's kind of like seeping into my professional life as well. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. oh, I just have really good people in my life. And I also want to keep that goodness going in my profession. Like we spend so much time at work. Like why would I not want to enjoy what I'm doing and who I'm doing it with? Mm -hmm. I think even extending past that, like I think Daniel and I's ability to stay in touch, especially within like marketing trends, it's something that like is undeniable when you have the ability to speak to someone that's not even in the same like niche of the marketing industry, but you're still constantly speaking about trends you're constantly speaking about what you're working to and how you know what the other person's working to applies to them and it sparks creativity and then it sparks this other you know passion creative juices and before you know it it just like evolves into stuff that parlays into your team and like that's the beauty of being able to share with people in this industry and like ultimately is the roots of what originated the marketing millennials yeah That's awesome. No, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? Is that at its core, marketing should not be a box, but it should be like an open space. It should, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be building. We shouldn't be afraid to fail. We shouldn't be afraid to try new things. But also, like, I need to be able to feed off of the people that I'm working with because it's like somebody needs to check me. I can get it to 80%. Maybe somebody else can get it, you know, the rest of the way. But that's the piece that I needed was the collaboration. Yes. I used to... Act, I learned this at the NFL. My really good friend, Tim Lee, man, he was my desk mate. And 
I, after I got through like shaking on the mouse, as soon as I would post a piece of content, I started to be like, yo, Tim, can you please just give me your eyes? Like I would always call, but like, I would even slack. I'm like, can you give me your eyes for like two minutes? I need you to just mm-hmm. like check a few posts that like, I feel unsure of like, to me, it sounds good, but like to you, is it cool? And it just like would give me that peace of mind of like triple checking with someone just to understand. I have no idea where I was going with that, but like the element of having that kind of not checks and balance, but, or check and balance, but like the opportunity to just bounce something off of someone that understands without having to explain yourself. Totally. Because it's like, Hey, I think that this works. Does it actually work? Like, here's the problem that I'm solving. Yes. Or you're coming from from a completely different direction. And it's like, hear me out. Don't judge me. But I'm going to yeah. throw this out here. And you have someone that gets it without having to explain it. Exactly. And I think that that was, for me, was the benefit of working at that ad agency for the start of my career was like, that's the culture. We had brainstorms like every uh, every week, at least on different clients and like things that I wasn't even a part of just to like bring somebody third party in that was like, what do you think about this? So beautiful. I'm... I had conversations with a lot of people where their current environment is a lot of closed door and they're yeah. not included in the conversation. And it's like, they're the specialist or they're the expert and they're excluded from it. But yet they're the ones expected to kind of develop that strategy around, you know, what's being brought to them. Yeah. You have to be able to see it, to take a step back and see it like full picture to even understand where you're, even if you are specialized, you really should build the skill to like take a step back, think about how your piece of it fits in. And I think that's a, a big thing that content marketing has always struggled with, especially on like the C-suite level. It's like, what does this actually bring us? And, and actually being able to explain that, you know, it's brand awareness, it's product marketing, it's sales enablement, it's this, it's that, like it's all of these different things that it could be but we just put it in this little box and I just don't, it's so frustrating because it's, it just shouldn't be like that. All right. So advice for younger people that want to get into content marketing, what can you give them? Oh man, I would hate myself for giving myself this advice, but I'm just, it's a little bit of tough love. Like <laughs> okay, you have read, read and write, like read as much as you can. Whatever it is, you just become a better writer when you're reading. I think that you have to make your, in any piece of marketing, you have to like do things that make you uncomfortable if you want to grow, because otherwise you are going to stay specialized or like you're going to get really good at one thing. But then, like, that thing, the biggest, my biggest draw to marketing now is like it's constantly changing. So it's constantly challenging for me. If it was the same all the time, that's so boring. But you have to be learning as well. And you have to want to learn. You know, I think I've worked with a lot of marketers that are just like, cool, I can send out an email a week and I can post schedule these social posts and like I'm coasting. And it's frustrating for somebody like me that I'm like, I want to push all of the boundaries all of the time. I'm just not patient. My new boss will attest to that. I'm like, I just want to go, go, go. But (laughs) I would say if you're specifically looking into getting into content marketing. And then most content teams are not structured the way that G2 was where, where SEO is baked into it. Learn the basics of SEO at least. So like you're... I think we get... Again, it's so caught up in like, it's either an editorial piece or it's an SEO piece. And I'm like, can it be both? Like, why, why can't it be both? I don't understand. That's awesome. So we're going to rapid fire. I would say these are not necessarily like first thing that comes to your mind, but more or less... Just something to kind of liven the mood and bring it down to a equivalent level. I'm going to start this off if you're cool. Tell us, what was your first job ever, ever? As a 17-year-old, I worked with my dad on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange trading floor. What? It was not a good place for a 17-year-old girl going into college. To work. But me and my dad are super close. He kind of lucked into that job. He shouldn't have even like found that job, but he was there for 30 years. And he recently had to retire because of COVID. They, he wasn't doing anything online. Like he always just traded paper. 
So as soon as they closed the trading floors, he's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But he actually was a pilot right out of high school and he was flying people from the trading floor to like their homes in Kentucky or whatever when it was really popular in the 80s. And he like one day, some guy was short a dude and he just like walked. He was like, I'll do it. And he just like never left. And he just like wanted to share that with me. So like I was there with him for three summers over to college. But I actually started learning how to... He's recently gotten back into flying. So I recently like have also maybe decided I'm going to get a pilot's license. I don't know. Hell it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Another notch yeah. under your badass belt. I mean, why not? At this point, like I don't have a boyfriend. We're just going to go get a pilot's license. and I'm going to get a plane instead. So... Um, I love it. Have you ever watched the last Alaskan people on National Geographic? No. What is that? Tell me more. Um, this guy bought a plane and he is out there and he like has built his own homestead. It's maybe like late night viewing in case you're ready to fall asleep and hate it. But also it's like phenomenal. Like this person is in the Alaskan bush, like on his own. He's about like 22 and he like has his own plane and he like traps and does everything on his own, which I don't even know what that really is. I just like speak the language because I've seen a couple episodes. <laughs> I am more thinking like, I want to fly to Nashville for brunch on a Saturday whenever yeah. I want. Not like okay. the Alaskan frontier, but like, Ferg, I'll come pick you up and we'll just fly to Nashville for lunch and then we'll just like go back. It'll be fine. Yeah, I'm not doing a lot of this. So thanks for being cool. <laughs> What is your like go-to brunch food? Are you guys sweet or savory? That's the first question that I need answered. No, you I'm answer savory. all of them. I'm, I'm the savory hoe. Yeah. You are both savory? I think I'm savory too. I'm probably going to go some kind of like chile quiles or like loaded tot situation. <laughs> I'm going to die. We're like best friends already. Chile We're the quiles same person. Yeah. Are my life. Are my life. Yeah. I'm a Verde Chilaquiles person, but it's... Same. I also need some, like, sweet, though. Like, one of my favorite places in Chicago is called Ann Sather. It's, like, this little Swedish bakery diner place. And so, like, I'll get the, like, normal breakfast, like, eggs and bacon and whatever. The sides come with, like, two massive cinnamon rolls. And I'm like, this is life. Like, this is it. I could die right here. I just need both. But I prefer the savory. Yum. I love brunch. I miss brunch. I was going to say, we're big foodies, dude. I, we haven't gone out to lunch in, or brunch in so long. I know the last time we went to brunch, you got was it? Um, the biscuits and gravy. and. I was going to say, to be honest with you, bees and G's are always my like go-to savory brunch food. No matter I'm what. Not, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The, the biscuits and gravy are just not great here in Chicago. So I'm just not going to order them. What? Really? It's a like it's more of a southern. I just it's just yeah. not something that I'm going to eat here. Oh my gosh! To be honest with you, the worst thing you can ever do is to teach yourself how to make biscuits and gravy. <laughs> eating them like Monday through Friday. I used to eat them for dinner. Uh, yeah, it, it would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my question for you. All right, you're in kind of a funk, a weird mood. What are you turning on from a music perspective, either an artist or a song to get you either hyped or in a happy mood? My favorite genre of music is probably John Mayer. And I say that with my whole heart. He's an incredible guitar player. Okay, okay. If you love John Mayer, what's your favorite song? Because that's all everybody wants to know. You pick one. One. Because it's so hard. I'm, I'm probably going to go with Stop This Train. Ooh, I love that album. Can I tell you, my first concert was John Mayer in Maroon 5. Amazing. See, like, it just, it's good for like, if you're sad, if you're happy, but it all, sad music makes me happy. So I don't know, I'm just a weirdo. Yeah, John Mayer's, that's it. What is your favorite brand currently? Like SAS brand or like personal brand or like, what are we talking about here? Any brand. What, what, What do you, what first comes to mind? Yeah, however you categorize, I would say. Maybe we'll go both. I don't know. In the last week, I don't I don't know what fast actually is, but they absolutely smashed the social media game. Like I I just don't understand. That's a Indiana Hoosier grad there for you. Okay. Well, we'll pass on that then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least it's Big Ten love. Sure. 
They did kill I, it. They, they really did. Like they crushed it. And even like, you know, they were apologizing for things on Twitter. They're like, Hey, that's my bad. Like we maybe didn't, you know, have our support system set up or like some dude was complaining about not being able to use his British visa, like credit card on something. And he was like, yeah, that was like, somebody like raised their hand. There was like, that was on me. It'll be fixed tomorrow. And I'm like, that's so smart. Personally, maybe Glossier just because it's like so pretty. I don't know. They just get you. Any, honestly, any like minimal Instagram ad, I'm there. Yo, Goop is a problem for me right now. It's annoying yeah. because they totally get it. And they're trying to be like, we don't get it. We are so authentic and organic. But it's also like, we are going to fucking track your ass and know exactly how to get you. But I think for people like us that are just in marketing, like it's branding. Like I just want to buy into something. I want to feel something. And I'm like, And cool. do you subscribe to their emails? Yes. Goop emails are probably one of my favorites. I think they're the most clean, unimposing, but still I'm basically navigating through that entire email for about 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Like it's it's just, it's just engaging, right? I mean, they just, they know who their audience is. They don't even have to talk about their products. Their tone of voice is perfection. I think that their ability to utilize their community to kind of re- Recommunicate their products to you in a in a fun, authentic way to a team. Yep. You guys, a community is the future of marketing. I hate to I say it, but it's true. Oh, we're on it. Why do you <laughs> think we've initiated to podcast? I think podcasting just means immediate community building, whether Same. it's within your guests or within your listeners. I mean, there's such a viable balance between both. Well, people are bought in, right? You just get people that are like, oh, I get it. I kind of want to listen to these people talk. So, This was awesome. Thanks for coming on. We loved it. I think you're awesome. I think you and Fergie are like best friends now. Like I feel like I need to the room. But where could, people, where could people find you right now? What are your... What are the... Drop, drop the social, drop the podcast, drop anything you want to drop right now. Well, I will first drop my dog's Instagram account. It's Wrigley Red the Golden on Instagram. She has more oh. followers than me. No, but I mean, on LinkedIn, it's just Bridget Putker, just my full name. On Twitter, it's Bridget Putker as well, but it's got a little like Cardi B spelling on the end. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sure you can figure it out. And then the podcast is called Self-Control and Cheese. There's also a Twitter account for selfcontrolandcheese.com. Please subscribe. We're awesome. We're going to have guests and stuff too. I mean, I don't know that we're up to this standard yet, but we'll get there. So, What? Are you calling us good? Amazing. No, so good. (laughs) We'll take it. Well, girl, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to pick your brain about content, about marketing, about your journey about some of the fun sides to you. We can't wait to check in with you in the very near future. But until then, stay well and kick ass in marketing like you are. Yeah, thanks guys. You guys, everybody's crushing it. I love it so much. We should just all keep crushing it. Like that's it. We just all have to keep doing it. We have no choice now. Hype team for life. Always. You know where to find me. (laughs) Yes, we do. 